We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The Field of 68 Media Network presents Red is the New Orange, a Syracuse basketball podcast. Vince intercepts a pass, breakaway for the freshman guard, he flies and slams! Aerial assault from Judah Vince. Looking to go back door to Bell, they get it to a near corner three, knocks it down! Chris Bell, the sharpshooter. Bringing you everything you need to know out of the 315. Up top, Williams searches ahead, up with the right hand and in. A pretty up and under move from Benny Williams to beat his man. Over to Taylor. He skips into the lane, puts up a floater, and drops in. Let's get it started with your host, Ian Unsworth and Johnny Gadamowitz. First game in conference play and first game of the new year doesn't turn out so well for Syracuse. 86-66, the Orange Fall and Cameron Indoor and Ian Unsworth, Johnny Gadamowitz, We're here to break it down. A couple days after the tip, it was a Tuesday night contest at 9 o'clock, so maybe not everyone stayed up for the entire game. I mean, I'm sure after that first half, people were locked and unloaded for a tight one down the stretch. Didn't turn out that way. Uh, Duke scored 51 points in the second half, and Johnny, it was a letdown after what was a really close first half. Well, Ian, great to be with you this morning. I know you were in the house, got to witness it firsthand. I was sitting in the newly renovated Moynihan train hall at Penn Station watching the first half, waiting for my track number to show up on the big video board, only to watch Syracuse get smoked in half number two on my phone on the train ride home back after a long city day. Um, But, you know, we kind of tend to hop on these podcasts and and have very kind of short-term reactions, right? We're, we're happy after wins, we're upset after losses. Um, and I think this was a game where, you know, the final score wasn't really truly indicative of how Syracuse played. I can't get on here this morning and rip them, right? As much as that second half sort of was a colossal collapse, what did we talk about last week? Starting hot, right? Keeping pace, not digging a hole for you to climb yourself out of. And as much as there were issues down the stretch of that game, which I'm sure we'll document, 
Um, I think this team put up a fight and, you know, proved that while it's not quite in that tier of top tier ACC teams like Duke quite yet, they're not extremely far off either. If you want to go back and listen to what we thought of Duke beforehand, you can do that on any podcast platform or on YouTube. The Field of 68 Podcast Network is where you'll find it. Drop us a follow on Twitter if you're listening. F68 underscore Qs is where you'll find all of our podcast live streams, as well as when we do tweet. It's not very often, but I sent out a picture from Cameron Indoor. I was up in the the back corner somewhere, um, but the building felt like a chapel of basketball, if you've never been there. The ceiling is low, the walls are wooden, and everything is antique, except for the display cases with all the trophies and the jerseys and all that. You, you get the point. They're Did you go to the museum? Know about it. Did you go to the, what, what do they call it, the museum next door where they have all the jerseys and everything hung up and stuff? No. Nah, I just I just traversed time. around the concourse, um, saw There's Dave enough there to keep for a you second. Busy. Mid ESPN got to see our WAER colleagues Joe Puccio, who we had on for what the Colgate game, Jack Gordon. Uh, so that that was a that was great fun. Uh, let's get into the game though, Johnny. And I think you hit the nail on the head. There's no reason for us to be mad about this, especially because since we podcast every Monday and Friday, this is not an instant reaction. This is a removed. Take some time to think about it. Yeah, it stunk sitting around all the Duke fans in the crowd, and it was a little frustrating to watch Syracuse um, turn the ball over in the second half and give the game away at times. But you're right. All I asked for when we talked about Duke in the preview was for it to be close, and it was close for about 28 minutes, and there's not much complaining left to do. We didn't expect Syracuse to have the talent level of Duke, and we thought there were probably a couple of matchups that Duke had the advantage of. And so in the first half, it was Mark Mitchell, who had 17 or 18 of his 21 points, all off dunks and layups, and a bajillion free throws, too. Um, Mitchell made seven of nine from the line, and Syracuse just couldn't deal with them. They were switching every screen, and Mitchell was the guy they left alone or left a smaller guard on, and Duke rightly took advantage. And then in the second half, they, they hit eight and nine threes. Yes, Syracuse turned it over a lot, but eight and nine in your own building is tough to stop, especially when it whips the crowd into a frenzy like that. Ian, I hate to correct you. It was eight of eight. They, didn't, they didn't miss a three. Okay. Or two. And a, a big reason why was because of those turnovers, right? It, it felt like it was a lot of silly Syracuse turnover, Duke gets out, wants to push the tempo, run the fast break, and then they would knock down a, a quick transition three, courtesy of a Proctor or a Roach. Jared McCain hit a couple big ones during that run in the second half, too. I think that's the biggest issue. We said we're not going to get on Red Autry's crew too much, but if we're going to in one particular area, for me, it was the turnover. Syracuse turned it over 17 times. Not an absolutely egregious number, but still a number that is too high to win, especially to win against a team like Duke that you can make an argument is a top 10 team in the country. They're going to make you pay. Duke certainly did make Syracuse pay when they did cough up the basketball. Um, 
Judah turned it over five times. Obviously, he offsets that with his six assists. And for someone who dribbles the ball and who has it in his hands as much as Judah does, naturally, those turnovers are going to come. But still, you'd love to see him trim it down a little bit. Four from Copeland, who, again, someone who is a very ball-dominant player, right? Those those turnovers are bound to happen sooner or later, particularly when you're going up against, you know, four- and five-star former McDonald All-American-type defenders, uh, but for me, that that was the root of the issue that really led to some other things that allowed Duke to capitalize. Once Copeland and once Chris Bell started turning the ball over, they got out of it. And it was really easy to tell being in the stadium. Um, I'm not sure if they showed this on the broadcast or not. Um, I only went back and watched the second half. But in the first half, Chris Bell had turned it over in transition. And then on the way back down the court, one of the fans, the Cameron crazies, of course, was chirping at him. And Chris Bell turned to the stands and gave it right back to him. And Syracuse went on a little run. But even in the timeout following that SU run, Bell was still looking at the stands. And I could kind of tell from that point on, he's, he's not going to be a factor. Chris Bell only played 11 minutes. And the second half, he ran down the floor on a fast break, jumped and threw it right to a Duke defender's arms. It turned into points, and he had to go. There's there's nothing you can do on the court if you're going to check out mentally and start focusing on something else. And I think with Copeland, too, he got called for a couple fouls in the first half, those turnovers. And also, he took more threes in that Duke contest than I think he has combined for the rest of the season. Six threes for Quadir Copeland is not, not a good, not number. his game. Yeah. not his Exactly. Game. It's not what he's most comfortable doing on the court. His shot's not broken. You just want him to play to his strengths because he is such a good passer. And he did have some really nice assists throughout this game, but Duke adjusted, left him wide open. He misses a couple. And then, yeah, he starts, he starts to kind of unravel, too. And it's what Altry said after the game. It's what everyone said after the game. This is a young team. They're still growing. That's great. And we can account for the physical mistakes on the court. But the mental side of things has to be a bit more reined in. Because that is part of getting down and then you know, kind of collapsing under the pressure of the Cameron indoor crowd and the Duke run of the second half. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. 
That's indeed.com slash blue wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yeah, we've used the word inconsistency a lot when talking about some of the players on this Syracuse team. And Chris Bell is certainly someone who falls into that category. He is the picture of it. He he is is the, he is your Britannica example. You look up inconsistency in your Webster Merriam dictionary and Chris Bell might be in the description. The larger point though, Ian, is that I think you'd agree with me in that if Syracuse wanted to find a way to win this game, it was going to need to be a full team effort, right? You were really not going to have an off night from anyone. If you were going to find a way to walk out of Cameron Indoor with a victory, and unfortunately for Syracuse, not only did Bell not really find his stride, but neither did Justin Taylor, only a single point in 22 minutes. And again, we preface the start of this podcast that, you know, it's, it's by no means is it pressing the panic button, but, you know, this is a couple stinkers in a row now from Chris Bell and JT, two guys who I think are not going to be focal points but can really sort of unlock this offense and can help it sort of hit that ceiling, right? Could you imagine if Judah's doing the things he does, if Copeland continues to take strides game in, game out, if Malik Brown continues to piece together his strong campaign, which I'm sure we'll touch on here momentarily, on top of Chris Bell and Justin Taylor being those ancillary pieces that can make big shots when you need them on the wings. And I think Bell is the one for me that stings a little bit more because I think with him, and I guess you can make the case with Taylor too, like we've seen it, right? Like it, it's it been there and it's been there more than just a flash in the pan, right? We've seen it a couple of times now, right? And And for Bell to not have had more than seven points in a game since Cornell, is disappointing for Taylor to only be averaging four over his last five. And again, I know that the focus has shifted in other areas, right? With the emergence of Copeland, with the minutes Malik Brown has has been seeing, with the way Judah has been playing. Um, But but still to see them sort of just be these net zeros on the court is alarming. And I think, again, that, that could be the key to getting this team to where it needs to go. They're not going to be all over other teams' scouting reports, and nor should they be. But for them to go out there and just not contribute a lot is really going to be a thorn in this team's side down the stretch if that doesn't change. Taylor was guarding Kyle Filipowski to start the game. He played 22 minutes, and a decent amount of that, actually, in both the first and second half, was guarding this seven-foot, perimeter-oriented big man. So I want to give him his flowers there because that's a really tough matchup. And for the first five minutes of the first half, Filipowski kind of phased out. They gave him the ball in the post once. It just didn't look like he was really interested in trying to score on Taylor. And, of course, that was rectified in the second half, and Filipowski got his. But for a little portion of the first half, Taylor limited him. And then Filipowski got in foul trouble and he had to sit for like the last 12 minutes of the first half. So, yes, I mean, Justin Taylor, even though he really hasn't done anything when it comes to scoring the basketball, he did miss a couple layups. Um, He had two field goals. Both of them were layups. 
He got four rebounds, and yes, that defensive assignment is enough to be okay with him not scoring the ball. That's a lot to ask a six foot six guard wing type. Bell, on the other hand, you need him to shoot the three. If he's only taking one three, and I know we've we've gone through this whole song and dance about him putting the ball on the floor and showing a little bit of growth and all that. If you're not going to play to your strengths, like it's really tough to keep you on the floor. There's a difference between growing and developing and trying to do too much. What we saw Chris Bell do against Duke was, I think, just get outside his comfort zone. And again, against Duke, you got to be comfortable. You got to do the things you're best at. And I do wonder, too, Ian, how much like having that, you know, the, the Syracuse coaching staff having the quick trigger to pull him off the bench. Yeah, you feel the right? pressure. You want to do you feel something. The pressure. Like but, what but, Benny did last year. But at the so same what, token. What your experience last year with Bayheim, right? You make one or two mistakes and you're getting yanked and you feel that. Well, that's exactly what I was going to say, where I, I'm almost hesitant to use that as an excuse for Chris Bell because how many times last year did we see that happen with Jim Bayheim, right? It, it's nothing that he's not used to, right? So maybe he's been dealt a tough hand and that, okay, he's just the kind of player where if he's not feeling it, coaches are going to put him on the bench. But this is but nothing rightly so. Right, Rightly exactly. so. He's shown in the past that if he's not feeling it, he's going to keep shooting. And then he ends up, you know, two for eight, two for nine, and gets your team out of rhythm offensively. And we all know he's not much of a contributor on the defensive end. So leaving him out there, especially if he's going to yap at the fans, it makes it's no just sense. not helping your team. It makes no sense. Uh, one player who we do need to sing the praises of, as I mentioned before, Ian, was Malik Brown. He was fantastic. Um, he was great, and, and particularly to do it against the physicality of those Duke bigs. I know you mentioned, obviously, you know Taylor, who was dealing with Filipowski early, but Malik certainly saw his fair share of Duke's big man. Also, plenty of Mark Mitchell as well. Um, and, and for him to kind of hold his own, and more than hold his own, I mean, 26 points, on 11 of 16, I think efficiency continues to be this guy's middle name. Um, and he is proving to be a reliable option off the bench for Syracuse. And I think we've made this statement on this podcast before, and I know you certainly have, as far as being the best big man on this team, bar none. It's just unfortunate that maybe he doesn't have another inch or two um, onto him to, to maybe, you know, compete with some of these other ACC bigs in the height department a little bit better, but that didn't show against Duke, against Duke. He was, he was spectacular. Um, so my friend who I went to the game with is a Duke fan and he was counting the amount of dunks Brown had, and he, he got up to eight. Malik was all over the place Tip putbacks, tip ins, rolling hard to the rim and really making himself available at all times, whether it was the baseline drive, Syracuse in the first half got a couple of easy baskets off Quadir or Judah driving baseline, drawing a double team, and then dumping it off to Brown right around the restricted arc. Um, he has a great awareness of where the space is on the floor. And I think that, that really helps him when you've got a bunch of aggressive drivers on the team. He's also a tireless screen setter. Again, McLeod, it just doesn't work all that well because he's flat-footed and he doesn't have the the 
quickness of foot to get out there and set two, three screens in a possession. Yeah, so, I don't know if tireless is the word that comes to mind when thinking about McLeod's game. You, you just can't move quickly enough to really be a factor on the floor. I mean, seven minutes, three fouls, and not much else is not going to do you anything. But Brown all season has kind of gotten the benefit of the doubt because there haven't really been bigs he's had to contend with. He pound for pound went with Filipowski. Like there was no doubting that Malik Brown was maybe the stronger of the two, definitely the more physical of the two. Filipowski did not gain much ground backing him down. The only problem was he could shoot over him a couple times, but you'll take that. You don't want Filipowski getting layups if it's 10, 12 footers. No problem. I think Malik Brown, at least against Duke, played at an all ACC level. If he keeps shooting the three, there is you cannot keep him off an all ACC team. And that three-point shot, even though we've only seen three or four of them this year, it looks good. It looks good, and no one expects him to take it. That's the best part. And I'm sure it'll be something he continues to kind of work on. Um, yeah, I think it was the best player on the court for Syracuse. Oh, absolutely. Duke. And, and I think also something that that I love about his game, too, you mentioned that spacing, Ian. Um, and, and this is something that, you know, has infuriated me for a long time, not just with Syracuse basketball, but it feels like basketball in general and even talking about the NBA. Like, shot goes up, right? Guys don't crash the boards particularly the guys taking that shot, right? They just stand there and watch it. That's been the case forever. But you mentioned Brown's spacing. It just feels like he has a knack for naturally being where he needs to in order to get involved on the glass. And if he doesn't, he'll make it a point to make sure he gets there. And we don't see that from a ton of guys, especially on this Syracuse team that is kind of scattered with, as you mentioned, you know, guys that like to get to the rim and you sprinkle your shooters in there. I don't see anyone else on this team who appears to have being in the right position to get a rebound as high up on their priority list as Malik Brown does. Now, some of that, of course, is because that's who they need him to be, right? If he's the big man out there, his job is to rebound. But it just feels like he makes it a priority to make that a part of his game, which is something that I think is really underappreciated and even looking across the conference and looking across the country, it's rare to find players like him that just have that knack. It almost feels sort of naturally to just be right place, right time. It's it's the tireless work ethic. That's really what it is. I mean, the Dennis Rodman trope yeah. in the last dance about him practicing rebounding, and he goes, dink, dink, you know, that's, exactly. that's a meme. Yeah. it's a meme, but it's it's true. And the best rebounders practice rebounding so they can read spin. They can read how the shot flicks off the board or you know, how, what side of the rim does what to the basketball from what angle. That sort of stuff is you can work on it, but you have to have a sense for it. Um, Rodman certainly had it, and I think Malik Brown does too. Uh, before we go any further here, we'll talk a bit about what Duke did in the second half to shut Syracuse down. Uh, let's hear from Rob Doster and our friends at BetMGM. As you guys know by now, we've partnered with BetMGM Sportsbook for this college basketball season. We're going to be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks and predictions throughout the college basketball season. And we are going to have special offers for you, the listeners and the viewers on the field of 68, each and every week during the season. If you haven't signed up with BetMGM yet, use the bonus code FIELD. 
1500 and you will get up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager on BetMGM Sportsbook. Here's what you got to do. Download the BetMGM app. Sign up using the bonus code FIELD1500. Deposit at least $10 and place your first wager on any game. You will receive up to $1,500 in bonus bets if that bet loses. Just make sure you use the bonus code FIELD1500 when you sign up. And remember, BetMGM is now available under one wallet in select states. As a New Jersey resident, this is super convenient for me when I have to go cover games in New York or Philly. When crossing state borders, just log into your existing account instead of having to create new accounts in each state that you go to. And most importantly, I got to let you know, we do have some fun stuff coming up for this college basketball season. Bet insurance tokens, college hoops odds boosts, my personal favorite, parlay odds boosts. So download the BetMGM app today. Still rolling here, Ian Unsworth, Johnny Gadamwitz. This is Red is the New Orange on the Field of 68 Podcast Network. Thanks for sticking with us. In the second half, Duke went on a 16-4 to run from about the 15-minute mark to the 10 minute mark in that period there were three made threes and about four or five Syracuse turnovers or bad shots that resulted in runouts Jared McCain in the first half really had no clue what he was doing the Duke fans were getting mad at him for shooting in the second half McCain came out a new man and I think that speaks to John Shire's ability to really motivate his young guys and make the adjustments the reason Syracuse turned the ball over, Johnny, or at least from my vantage point, was that Shire and crew realized that the Orange had no shooting. They sagged off, they pressured the ball, crowded the paint, and Judah didn't have any driving lanes. Quidier ran into interference every single time he put the ball on the floor, and both of them started to struggle. Yeah, you'd love to know what was said in that halftime locker room discussion that John Shire instilled in his group. But yeah, I'm with you there, Ian. I think the Blue Devils recognize that Syracuse does not have a lot of potent options to pull the trigger from downtown or on deep twos, what have you. They are more of a mid-range, driving-oriented team, and they recognize that. You wonder why that wasn't sort of the game plan from the onset. But that's neither here nor there. The fact that they eventually did get there and were able to neutralize the orange offense is ultimately what led to, led to this second half run. Um, you know, you look at the box score, everybody from a Duke standpoint had an efficient night, right? Whether it was Mitchell, 7 of 10, Filipowski, he only took seven shots. Again, a lot of that because of the foul trouble in the first half found a way to make sure that that did not rear its ugly head in half number two, which was obviously huge, was able to give the Blue Devils quality minutes down the stretch when they went on that run. Roach, seven for 11. Even McCainian, who you mentioned, kind of had that pitiful first half, still found a way to finish the day six of 13. Duke shot over 50% from the field. I said earlier, when you turn the ball over 17 times, you're not going to find ways to win. When you combine that with the fact that your opponent's going to shoot over 50% and go eight of eight from range in half number two, Syracuse didn't stand a chance down the stretch. And again, that I think that's more because of Duke good than Syracuse bad, right? The orange just yeah. ran into a buzzsaw um, and you tip your cap, right? Because that's what this Duke team did. They, they found your weak spots and they exploited them. I also think Tyrese Proctor was a pretty big difference maker. Yeah. Last year, he put Joe Girard in a box. And this year, he played most of his minutes in the second half because he's still coming off an ankle tweak. But 
he made it really difficult for Mintz and Starling to have much success in those second 20 minutes. And he also had 10 of his 14 in that second half. And he he's there. Once he gets going and starts talking a little bit, I think everyone else on that Duke team automatically raises a bit of a level. So if if he's healthy, Duke is, of course, going to be a problem in the ACC. And other than that, Clemson just fell to Miami. And I think North Carolina is probably the team to beat right now in the ACC, all things considered. Syracuse has them in, what, week and a half? Or at least from now, I think a middle, barely less than a week. So Yeah, I mean, they've got their opportunities, right? I mean, you, you had opportunity number one earlier this week against Duke to go out there and make a statement. And as you mentioned, Ian, for 28 minutes, you kept it interesting, right? And, and now you go out there. That, that's what I will say. I mean, I think this game, even though it was a 20-point loss, I think it sets the tone for kind of what we can expect moving forward, right? Like, go take care of business against Boston College at home. Like, not not quite no questions asked, but pretty close to it. Like, go find a way to win that game, flex your muscles. Win it by 10. Yes. Then you go down to Carolina. And you take your chances, right? I mean, you know, you hope that you replicate some of what you did in this Duke first half. You get a Carolina team that maybe is on a little bit of an off night and you see what happens. But I think my larger point there is that, you know, you get Pitt again coming up, right? You've get, you you know, you you look at those, you know, mid-tier, mid to lower tier conference teams that are on this team's radar for the next month. Go win the games that you're supposed to win, right? It's what we saw them do all throughout the non-con. Take care of business against the squads that you'd expect them to. And then, all right, you want to falter and drop one here or there to the teams that you throw your hands up in the air and say, hey, look, they were better than us. That's okay. Now, at some point, do you need to win a game like that to, to have that on your resume? Absolutely. But for right now, just take care of what is out in front of you. And also, we should note that besides North Carolina and Pitt, Syracuse has the other four for their next six at home that BC is a home game and then you've got Miami for like the first time in forever coming up north FSU and North Carolina State I think that also plays a factor students will be back on campus and hopefully that means Syracuse can kind of get its mojo going and especially those shooters we talked about Bell and Taylor can find their strokes inside of a comfortable venue. That'll wrap it up here on Red is the New Orange. Johnny Gadamwitz, Ian Unsworth, signing off after Syracuse's 20-point loss to Duke on Tuesday. We will be back on Monday to talk all things BC and give you a bit of a recruiting update as well for what SU's looking forward to in the 2025 class. We'll catch you then. For now, follow us on Twitter at F68 underscore Cuse and enjoy your weekend.